Please watch me, Lord, and keep me from fright. I'm glad that you never sleep, and I know you will keep my soul, and I'll be whole when morning comes. If I'm still here, I'll thank you. day and with each passing moment strength I find to meet my trials here trusting in my father's wise bestowment I've no cause for worry or for fear he whose heart is kind beyond all measure Gives unto each day what he deems best Lovingly is part of pain and pleasure Mingling toil with peace and rest Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour All my cares He fain would bear and cheer me He whose name is Counselor and Power The protection of His child is treasure Is a charge that on Himself Thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. Is the pledge to me made? Help me then in every tribulation. 
Welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church as you're filing your way in and finding your seat. It is good to be in God's house. Amen? Amen. Come on, I'm wound up. You need to get wound up too. The, um, I just noticed something up here. I've never, Andrew, I was giving you a minute to tune your guitar. I saw you over there. But you have papers sideways up here. How's that work? Uh, when I get done with all of them, that's there. It gets up top. Okay. I'm not breaking. I was just making sure you weren't, I, I didn't know what you were doing. You got a lot going on here. As long as it's clear by the time I come up, we're good, right? But it has been a week of... Um, uh, busyness. We've had a lot going on church-wide. Many of you in your own personal lives have a lot going on as we've been interacting with each other. But this is a time when we get to come together under the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, under His Word that gives us hope and encouragement and truth. That gives us the reason to smile. That gives us the reason to have certainty as we walk this life. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I do know who holds tomorrow. So let's open this worship with a uh, time of prayer and ask the Lord to meet with us and pray that we, when we leave, we won't, we'll leave different than how we got here this morning. We'll leave with a, with a purpose in our heart. Let's bow. <clears throat> Dear God, we come before you in a moment of prayer, thanking you for your, just your presence. Some of us probably need to slow down our lives. Others may need to get going. Others are at a point of, of temptation. Others are here that are at a point of having to make some very hard decisions. So as we come as a, a group of people, we're, we're diverse in that sense in our need. But our answer is unifying. Our answer is you. Jeremiah 29, you know the thoughts that you have toward us, toward your people, peace. You have an outcome, a desired outcome as well. May we align our lives to you and then hang on for the ride. Thank you for being our God. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this room. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the praise team this morning as we sing Death Was Arrested?
ushers to come forward as we prepare to collect the offering. I want to read to you two verses from the book of Romans, chapter 1. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You've walked into a church, Cross Point Baptist Church, that is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We know that the gospel of Christ is the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. You may have never heard the gospel. Today, we intend to share that with you. We intend to share with you the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. It's our goal to be a light to this world that shines brightly the light and love of Jesus Christ, the gospel that saves our souls. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we share the gospel this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in hearts and minds to illuminate who you are, to show us who you are, who we are. We are sinners who need to be saved by grace, the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Help us as a church to brightly shine the gospel everywhere that we go in everything that we do. Please use this offering to send the gospel forth so that we can see souls saved according to your will. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take this time to prepare for the opening of the Word, I'm going to get you there in just one moment. I did want to share with you that uh, we want to welcome those on Facebook. And it's something struck me odd as I looked at it that the, at least the first three names that popped up on who's watching on Facebook right now are actually in this building. So they're helping to promote our numbers a little bit, I guess, on the old FB. But um, it is good that um, this person had barely been, hadn't been a member hardly any time at all and had some physical ailments that have, are keeping them from being able to join us. Joyce Prophet is watching this morning. So if we could take a minute, turn back to the camera, and let's welcome Joyce Prophet into our... Uh, into our assembling together. We miss those that can't be here. We really do. And uh, it's hard. I, I know it can be very challenging. It's just not the same watching on Facebook as it is meeting in person, especially on a Sunday morning. I think we get by with it a little bit on Sunday night, but uh, especially on Sunday morning. You can turn with me in your Bibles to John 11, John chapter 11. I hope that you're ready just for some straight Bible teaching and preaching. That's it. That's all I got. If you're looking for some acrobats and some uh, zing zang zinger stories and all that good stuff, um, I don't have any of that this morning. Just straight Bible because this is the meat and potatoes. This is our nutrition, our spiritual nutrition, but it's also news and life to those that don't know what we're talking about. Maybe you're watching on Facebook, you've come here today, and you're like, what's the church thing all about? If you're pursuing truth today, I got good news, you can find it. Ooh, that was a good spot for a cross point to amen right there. This is truth. We do believe the Bible is true, amen? amen. It's the truth, and as we hear the truth, if ears to hear, eyes to see, and if we will diligently seek Him, 
although the verse starts by saying without faith, he will reward. So you pursue truth and hang on. John chapter 11, verse 25 is where, 45 is where we'll pick up this morning. Now I say pick up because I was studying for this. I started on Thursday to, uh, I wanted to uh, study a little bit for Facebook. So on Sunday nights when we do Facebook, um, we've been kind of, uh, we were doing the book of John, book, chapter, verse, right? Just straight through. And um, we've been doing some other things in camp, so we haven't been as consistent. So I said, man, we're really going to get in to John 11 at a greater chunk on Sunday night, 7 o'clock, when we do Facebook tonight. But the more I studied it, the more I studied it, I'm going, we're doing this this morning. So verse 45, to get you up to speed in a nutshell, John chapter 11 Almost the entirety of it is about one theme. It, 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 the event is Lazarus. You guys know the story. Many of you heard this story of Lazarus, uh, Mary, Martha, the sisters, and that they were all uh, tight with, uh, with Jesus. They're really tight with him. They're, very, uh, they're close. They're more than tight. They're following. First you follow, then you believe, and then you love as you watch the relationship grow. Lazarus died. I, again, I can't go into the, the nitty-gritty of it all, but I do want to remind you before we pick up, and right before we're getting ready to raise Lazarus, I want you to look back in John chapter 11, verse 4. Verse 4, and it reads, when John 11, 4, when Jesus heard that, heard what? He heard that, um, Lord, behold, he whom you loved is sick. He got the news that Lazarus is sick. Now, we know and understand Jesus to be omniscient, omnipotent, right? So he knew, all, and he's omnipresent. He, he knew what was going on. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not in the death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He shared with those within earshot. And I'm so grateful today that those words were penned so that we have the ability to read the rest of John chapter 11. He's saying this is the purpose of it. Listen, a lot of times we're going through things in life. Man, people want to ask me all the time, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And I don't, ha I don't have the answers. You know, I have some answers, but I don't have the answer for why everything happens the way it does. What of our new mantra here at Crosspoint? Don't ask why anymore. Ask what? God, what are you up to? And as uh, he gives us the why right here, you may be going in your life right now, going through something, and you're tempted to go why. Because and, and why, when you ask the why question, it, 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 it's a temptation to go to that, the doubt side of it. The doubt. If you don't get the answer you want out of God, you may be tempted to doubt. So that's why the why can be more challenging. But we know he gives us the purpose. And you may be going through something right now. If you're a believer, listen, this very last line of verse chapter 4 is for you. If you're a believer today, God is always up to something in your life. That God may be glorified through it. God, I'll do anything for you. And then when something that we don't like happens, we start to question that. Instead of questioning God, you ever wonder why God doesn't look at us and question us? 
Now, now you said you were all in, you're going to trust me. You said you were going to full in, uh, believe in me, follow me. You're going to change your life for mine in Christ. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, I can't help but, but, but look from God's perspective and go, why? Why are you changing? Why are you the one doubting? Why are you the one? Well, we're not him. Think, uh, he has the ability to be perfect. We do not. But the point is, when we change the perspectives, it maybe changes how we look at life just a little bit. Chew on that. But whatever happens as to the believer, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Are you willing to let God get the glory through your life? You're like, yeah, let me go win something. Let me get the big career and I'll give you all the glory. You know, like they do on TV. No, no, no. It's glorifying him when things aren't, when you're not at your pinnacle of what the world says is success. Ooh, that was a good one. It's, it's, when, it's when you're down here that you're saying, God, get the glory out of my life. That's not, that's not our first mindset. When, when the world standards, when, hey, you Christians, your lives are falling apart. What happened to your God? When things aren't like the world standards, that's when we need to be saying, God, get glory. You get the glory out of life. So Lazarus is in this spot. Actually, Lazarus at this point probably doesn't know, know a whole lot about what's going on. <laughs> He's sick, sick unto death. In fact, he dies. Jesus says, I'm going to be gone. He separates himself for four days. You know why that is? Watch this. To make sure he's dead. Because he's getting ready to do a miracle. They, they needed to confirm. People, everyone around this situation knew that Lazarus was dead. He gone. Now, the other question I get was, where was he for those days? That, yeah, he, he's gone. That's all you need to be concerned with. Then Jesus comes, and, and he's, he's showing, and, and by the way, he's getting glory all through, uh, in chapter 11, verses 28 through 37, Jesus' death and the last enemy, and then he raises Lazarus in verses 38 through 44, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, he came out, the grave clothes is what he had on, let him loose and let him go. So the miracle has just happened. It's there. And what you're getting ready to see here as we move forward, what you're getting ready to see is how fickled the crowd is. They just saw a bona fide miracle. Some are related. Some are questioning and others become deceiving with anger. Which one are you today as we consider him? This miracle has happened. He was dead. Now he's alive. Let me shake that tree again. He was dead. He gone. And now he's alive. Listen, I've been in hospital rooms when people apparently are taking their last breath and, and, and they're transitioning from this life to the next. I've been there and you see it and, 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 and you're, the, everything changes. And you realize that when, when you step across that line of life, it's but then to watch someone come back. Like they were on death's door and God does the work. And here they are. Man, you want it, to, it's, it's, we're astonished at words. We're out of words. He was dead, dead. Now he's alive, live. He gone. But we have learned a lot about this event pre-miracle. We will learn much 
about post-miracle now. And all this funnels through chapter 11, verse 4. All right. Get there. Get there at verse 45. Get your seatbelt on and let's do some thinking. And let's give our heart and mind over to the scripture this morning. It's interesting that moving forward in this event, that the Holy Spirit doesn't have John write any, any more about Lazarus and his sisters. Did you catch that? So the miracle has happened. You would think they would kind of be the centerpiece in the story. Like, hey, hey, Lazarus, can you give us an interview here? John doesn't do that. Through the Holy Spirit, John, he doesn't write about Lazarus and the sisters anymore throughout here. Verse 45 and 46 is where we pick up. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to, went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. In two verses, some things stand out. To many of the onlookers, this miracle, it actually proclaimed Jesus' deity. Remember going back in your mind, the book of John, it's still kind of the theme here of Jesus is emphasizing and and John, as he's writing this, his deity. The word deity means divine nature. I and my Father are one. Emmanuel, God with us. Deity. He's emphasizing it. You may think, why do you keep saying that over and over? I keep saying that because that's what the book of John keeps saying, for one. And number two, if you don't believe in the deity of Christ, his divine nature, you're not going to view him as the Savior. Then his death, his burial, and his resurrection can't happen if he's not deity, if he's not the divine nature. It's not going to happen. So, uh, uh, with the, within that crowd, look at verse 45. And many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. They just believed. They didn't analyze their faith. They just simply believed. You mean, oh, it's too simple. It's too sim-. They just saw what Christ can do. No sleight of hand. No illusion. A miracle. The effect of a miracle on an individual depends partly on the moral condition of the heart. It amazes me. You're getting ready to see it. How people can witness and watch the same thing and come away with different thoughts, minds, and attitudes about it. We see it all the time. We see it in the news. We go to events. Somebody may go to a concert and say, man, that was the best concert ever. Somebody come away going, man, it was all right. It kind of stunk. I mean, people are so, but it's, it's, it, when it comes to Christ and his miracles, a lot of it depends on their moral condition of the heart. What do we mean by that? If one's heart is evil, if it's rebellious and unbelieving, no miracle will convince. There's not a miracle that will convince. It doesn't matter. In fact, I'll have Spencer put on the screen Luke 16:31. Luke 16, 31. And as we consider this portion of Scripture, you're going to see this played out in real time in the Scripture. Now, this is a truth for us to consider. But he said to him, 
that if, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they per be persuaded the one raised from the dead. What? Did you catch that? This sets us up for the rest of John 11. It doesn't, if there, you have the scriptures. You may think, God, I need more evidence. That's what Lee Strobel did, the, 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 um, the Case for Christ series of books that he wrote. I need more evidence. I need more evidence. You know what? It, after all of his schooling, after all of his ability to be a, a journalist and reporting, and he traveled the world to disprove the resurrection, you know what it still came down to? The Word. It came down to where it starts. Where it starts is where he ended. If you have the Moses and the prophets, that's all they had at that time. We have the New Testament. Neither will they be persuaded the one raised from the dead. What's that tell you? The heart condition. That's what's happening with Lazarus. He just rose. He was dead. Now he's alive. Look at the heart condition. Going back to John chapter 11, <clears throat> or, uh, verse 46, it says, and some of, But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. They went to the Pharisees. Here's a question. Why? Why? Did they go to the Pharisees? Now, I don't have time to explain who the Pharisees are in, 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 in its totality, Sanhedrin, Sadducees, and scribes, and all this. But they were a religious elite group that had a lot of authority and a lot of power. Given by the government, some of it self-imposed. It started have given that authority by God. But it went sideways really quick. If one's heart is evil and rebellious and unbelieving, no miracle is going to convince. They went to the Pharisees. Why? The motive would be to validate or to stir up the Pharisees' anger. Why? Because they were a threat to power. He's got to be quieted. He's got to be stopped. What do we do? They're, they're, they're torn in between in verse 46. Why not just let this thing go? But they don't. They go to the ones that they think can do something about this one called Jesus. Now think about this. They went to the religious elite because they were either uncertain or angered that someone was once dead and now they're alive. They were bothered by a miracle. I want to see miracles. I want to be a part of that. I think I have seen some. I really do. But they're not toys to be played with. That's the point of a miracle. They're God being God. They went to stir up the Pharisees. What a stark contrast of the people who witness the exact same miracle, yet have the opposite viewpoints, hearts, experiences, and ultimately they have different destinies. Did you see it? Look what happened in verse 45, how it ended. And uh, believed in him. Do you know what happened when they believed in him? Their destiny changed from hell to heaven just that quick. Their relationship changed between an angry God to a loving God who loves them and fathers them. What else changed? Now they have life and a hope for daily living when if you don't have Christ in your life and you don't believe in him, you don't have hope for daily living. You're going to grab every self-help book you can find. 
That, just like that, because they believed. But the opposite is true as well. Because they didn't believe, their hearts were evil, they kept, they just dug in even further and became antagonists, if you can do that, toward God. Look at verse 47. It says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. So verse 47 is interesting because the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered a council. What are we talking about here? The chief priests were probably the Sadducees, which is interesting because the two groups were theologically opponents. So Pharisees and Sadducees, they were opponents to each other, but they came together for the common enemy of Jesus Christ. There's a saying in the mob world, the, uh, the friend of my friend is, no, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Something like that. But the point is, it's, it's interesting who partners up for a common enemy. These two groups, they came together to take out, the attempt to take out the one. But the two joined at this, at this council. By the way, you may think, well, uh, that ever happened before? It happens all the time in history, but it also happened in the Bible. Remember the Passion Week when Christ was walking this earth and we had the triumphal entry on Sunday and a lot of things are happening. There's a feast going on. And then the, uh, Jesus is uh, he's arrested in the garden. He's taken. And then it always it gets down to Herod and Pilate and all this goes down. The, exactly the same thing happened as it relates to Jesus that Passion Week. Herod and Pilate were enemies. Keep your finger there in John. Turn with me to Luke 23. Bookmark John 11. Go to Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 11 and 12. If you're there to Luke 23, 11 and 12, say Amen. Just, I got to do that to keep you awake. Just as Herod and Pilate did. Look in verse 11. It says, Then Herod with his men of war uh, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. So who did that? Herod sent him back to Pilate. Verse 12. The very day Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. The enemy, of my, enemy is my friend. See what happened there? It's an unholy alliance. In fact, it also backups, back supports what Psalm uh, chapter 2 and verse 2 would say as well. Listen to Psalm 2, 2. As it reads, the kings of the earth set themselves and the river rulers Take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, and then it goes into verse 3. What's the point? The point is, this world, even though they can be bitter enemies at time, will come together to take out who they think is a threat to their power. You may think, is this still happening today? It's gonna, ha- it's happening today. It's gonna happen. A lot of, a lot of council of churches organizations are just that. You're compromising truth for let's all go along to get along. Truth matters. 
It's going to happen when we study Revelation as we look into it. Oh, there's going to be a lot of really weird alliances happening religiously. So it happens, and it happened there in John 11 as well. So going back to John 11, we read verse 47. So what shall we do? What are we going to do is their question at the end of verse, uh, of verse 47. What shall we do? What, why? I don't know why they, they feel the need to do something, for this man works many signs. They're baffled. Some may be thinking, why are we moving so slow? He's got to go. Take him out. I would ask this question, why are you so indecisive? Earlier, they had even tried to arrest him in John chapter 7. They tried to arrest him before. He's kind of weak at that point. But now, they're indecisive. These spies verify signs and miracles. Did you grab a hold of that? The world had just witnessed what had happened and verified that he's doing many signs. They didn't say, hey, Pharisees, he's doing a lot of false signs. What they're saying is he's the real deal, and we don't like it. Now, usually you would think, well, somebody realizes that he's the real thing, he's the real deal, well, then i got to follow him because he's right. But that's not the case. They're verifying that Christ is deity, and he's doing these miracles. Now, what are we going to do about it? They're spies. People are believing in him and leaving you or us is what they're telling them. As they verify this miracle, their conscience, though, is untouched. It's untouched. Look at verse 48. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Let's. Look at verse part of verse 48. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Oh, that would be bad, wouldn't it? That would be bad. Think of what it means to follow Christ. We did this in new life. It's, it's, it's serving. Think of what it would be like if the whole... We can't, we can't go there in our minds. Our minds won't let us go there. If the whole world will become Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ, what this world would look like? Oh, it would be bad, wouldn't it? It'd be real bad. We get a glimpse of it, maybe, in the millennial reign as we, as we look. But we'd be out serving each other. We're thinking of each other if that were to happen. To them, this is bad in verse 48. Everyone's going to believe in him, but the motive's different. It's a threat to power. If we... You know, leave him alone, all men will believe. And that, that would be good for everyone except for them. They felt the need to intervene. Let me ask the question again. Why? Why the need to intervene? The back part of 48 kind of gives you the start of, of the answer. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. If Israel recognizes, not the leaders, but Israel recognizes Jesus as the deity, which would be king, that would mean trouble from Rome. Why? Rome ruled Israel. It was a province. Israel was a province to Rome, and that would end their authority. Here's what had happened. What had happened was, that's how I like to tell stories. Are you guys awake with me? That's a funny one there. Let me go a little street on you. What had happened was, they, when 
when the Sanhedrin, they were allowed Israel, Rome said, listen, we're, we're, we're the boss. We got it. And, and, Rome, and Israel went, well, we don't have a choice. They said, we're going to let you do your, your religious laws and stuff. Rome's that they were like, you do your thing on that. We'll keep an eye on it. But remember, it's Caesar. You bow down to, you know, you, we're going to give you that little, we're going to give you that. You handle your religious stuff. That was the threat that the Pharisees were so concerned about. That, that little bit of control that they had. Now, it's so ironic because Israel is looking for the Messiah, the king, and that was what Rome didn't like. If that king shows up, we're coming in. We're coming in. So what the Pharisees wanted to do was play along to get along so that something bad doesn't happen from Rome. If you're a student of history and or the Bible, you know how this ends. The Sanhedrin, the, the leaders, they were Israel's reps. They were the representatives. They were the authority, but only in the, the religious law. And take away our place. Look at verse 48 where it says, And they will take away uh, both our place and nation. Rome would ruin the temple and scatter the people. And they ended up doing that in A.D. 70 some 70 years after Christ's birth. So the threat was real. I mean, they knew the threat was real. Like, it, Rome's not playing. Like, we own you. We're a little bit hands-off. Sometimes we're hands-off, but we own you. So the, the threat was real because we fast forward and see that they actually did what they said they threatened to do. That was demolish Israel if they could. It's a great line right here. The irony is that Rome didn't destroy the temple because they recognized Jesus, but because they didn't. Don't recognize Jesus. Rome's going to come in and wipe us out. So they didn't recognize and God didn't preserve. Remember in the scripture where it says, if you deny me, Jesus is speaking. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Now, there's some prophecy here as well, but they didn't destroy it because they did recognize Jesus, but because they didn't. There's a greater power than any government ever established, and he's God Almighty. Nope, that wasn't strong enough. If you don't believe this, you, you might as well pack it in. You might as well pack it in. There's a greater power than any government ever established, and it's God. Turn with me to Psalm 95, verse 3. You better believe that one. You better believe it. If you don't believe this, if you, if you start bowing down to the powers that be, you've just chosen your God over. There's no God like Jehovah that we just sang about. Psalm 95, verse 3. We've had in history. Now, I'm not that great at history. I know just enough to muddle through. But we know in history that we've had um, world leaders, fascists, and that have dominated at times. But there is none higher than our Creator and Father God. Look at what it reads. For the Lord is the, is the great God and the great King and above all gods. You know what happens to governments? They become gods. 
What is, it, what is a God? Well, in our world, it's you feed me, you clothe me, you take care of my needs. You must be God. You know, it's interesting. I'll tell you a little funny here off script that um, you heard me mention that um, both my son and daughter got puppies within this year. Okay. Carl and I are having a blast with this because you would think it's the end of the world. You would think, Dad, you don't know how hard this is. You don't know how hard it is to raise these puppies. Well, I would remind them we've had two puppies and two kids. You want to guess which one's harder to raise? Reminds me of my cat-dog theology. Let me bear with me on this. This is why we like dogs better than cats. I said it. That's right. This is gospel truth right here. A dog looks at its owner and says, they feed me, they, they take care of me, I'm healthy. The dog looks at the owner and says, they must be God. But the cat looks at the owner and says, they feed me, they clothe me, they take care of me, I must be God. And if you've ever watched a cat, Samantha Ferguson, do not doubt me on this. No cat in our habitat is how it works. We have to be careful, very careful, because right now we can be smug when economy, you know, we're getting by. Our our, our things are met. We're good. But when our stuff gets moved too much and we start relying on somebody else or something else or a government, it's going to become your God. What I love about our country is that we have the ability, we're pledging allegiance to a flag which gives us the freedom to worship God. Okay? That's backwards in a lot of societies. They're pledging allegiance to a flag who meets all my needs. Verse 49 and 50. Look at there, 49 and 50 with me. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Verse 50. Um, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that, all, that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. In verse 49 and 50, you see something very interesting. Caiaphas, who was the high priest from AD 26 to 36, AD 26 to 36. If you want a, more of a personal report, ask Jewel. He was there. He remembers. But he, this Caiaphas presided over the trial of Christ. Remember when the Passion Week that we had talked about? It's the same guy who was over that trial. A, a mock trial, a false trial, but deemed guilty. It was stacked, obviously. And this Caiaphas is the same one. He was there when Peter and John was brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. So, this dude gets around, right? He, he, he gets around and he is up to something, something evil, something not good. It looks like the council is puzzled in verse 49 and 50. In fact, look how arrogant he says, sounds here. One of them, Caiaphas being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. That's a great way to win friends and influence people. But up to this point, they knew that Jesus was a threat, but they also knew that Jesus had just done a miracle. 
But all that seemed to do is kind of fuel and cause each other to ask more questions. You know nothing at all. What he's really saying is, is um, you don't know the plan. You don't know it. Never mind his miracles. Never mind his teaching. Never mind his character or his potential of his deity. Never mind all that. He's got to go. That's what you don't get. He's got to go. Look at what he's saying in verse 50. He is saying in verse 50, Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Jesus would die for the nation of Israel, but Israel would not die for Jesus. See that? Not for salvation, but for peace with Rome. He's got to go so that we can keep peace with Rome. The one man's got to die for the nation so we can keep peace. Caiaphas, I'm getting ready to share with you how much prophecy and truth he just spoke that he didn't believe. He didn't say he's got to die so that we can have salvation and be made right with God. He's got to go so we can keep peace with our God, Rome, the powers that be. That's what Caiaphas is leading them to. Rome would thank us for squashing this threat and see it as an allegiance to them. That's what you're missing. By the way, Caiaphas speaks as a politician who sacrifices truth for party interests. Ooh, too close to home? Is that a little too sensitive right there? Do we see that in culture today? Let me say that line again. Caiaphas speaks as a politician who sacrifices truth for party interests. Right now you're thinking, ooh, what party is he talking about? Put them in a bag, shake them up, and pull one out. It almost sounds like Caiaphas understood the reason for Christ coming to earth. Look at 50 again. It's, it, he's, listen to this prophecy. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should come and die for the people. Man, if he would stop right there and listen to his own words, he would get that he is the Messiah. That he's coming to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to be raised again on the third day. But not just for Israel, for all people. That's you and I, Gentile. It's you and I. No need for any other mediator. We can have direct access to our God through Christ. The problem is, he goes on. And not the whole nation, but that the whole nation should not perish. He's tipping his hand into his motive a little bit more. Is he saying that Jesus is a substitute for sinners and the saving of the soul? No, that's not what he's saying. What he said was true, but the motive was just sinful. Caiaphas didn't believe on Christ for salvation. And the proof is actually in verse 53. In case you're playing with this going, yeah, he spoke a truth there. Look in verse 53 if you really want to see his heart. Let's look at verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted the putting to death. Now, they weren't plotting the putting to death and saying, hey, we're going to help this Jesus guy along. We're going to help the Messiah to become the Christ. We're going to help murder him. 
so that we can have salvation for the world. That, that is not their motive. They wanted to, hey, he had to be stopped. What were they concerned with? Go back to verse 48, the very end of it. Very end of it. They were concerned with Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They're worried about their place. They're worried about their power. They're worried about their position in the world. A couple more verses we want to look at. Back in verse 51, or in verse 51, <clears throat> it reads, Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Watch this. This is so interesting to me. See where it says his own authority there in verse 51? Now, this he did not say on his own authority. Well, then, whose authority did he say it under? Watch this. He didn't say these by himself or of his own will, but it was given by God. You think God would use somebody evil and unbelieving to accomplish his will? He definitely would. The high priest, that was his office. It is divine prophecy that he said Jesus would die for a nation. Why was this given to Caiaphas, a non-believer? Because he was the high priest that year. Listen, we've seen it time and again. You've seen over the, the time frame pastors that have proclaimed the truth of God's word only to be living a life that doesn't match God's word on a public stage. You've seen it. You've seen truth spoken through people that aren't fully believing. And here's no different. God used these words through Caiaphas. God spoke through him because of his office, not because of his own personal righteousness. There's a twofold aspect here. Think of it from these two, two aspects. From the human side, it was a murder for political ends. It was a murder for political ends. So many movies and TV shows now are, man, you see that, that portrayal. I'm not going into does it really happen or not. But it's plausible from the human side, a murder for political ends, but from the divine side. It was Christ's death and sacrifice for sinners. Do you see that? Here's a great line. The greatest crime ever committed is the greatest blessing ever given. Amen. I lifted that right out of a commentary. The greatest crime ever committed is the greatest blessing ever given. Christ didn't die to make salvation possible. He died to make it certain. That's the gospel message that Brad was just talking about. He just mentioned, we want to introduce and sure up in your life that salvation is not only possible, it's certain. You, place your, you turn from your sin and place your life in his hands. You're there, baby. You are there. You are there. Amen. It can be hard. It can be hard to give up on yourself, but you're there. Understanding and believing the miracle of the death, the burial, and the resurrection without analyzing your faith like they did at the end of uh, verse 45. They just believed. They just believed. Look in verse 52 with me. Verse 52 the question is, whom did Christ die? I want you to notice, Karen Stanhope, I said whom. Did you catch that? Yeah. 
I wrote who, and then uh, I go, it's corrected. Verse 52, and not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Whom did Christ die? For the, listen to this. I love doing this when I prepare messages. Just hang on. Buckle up. Buckle up. Who did, whom did he die for? He died for the transgression of my people when he was stricken. Isaiah 53, verse 8. He died. <clears throat> whom did he die? For those that call on his name, Jesus, and shall save his sins, the, his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. He died for the Son of Man, came not to minister to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5, 25. To make a propitiation, a satisfaction for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. The children of God that were scattered abroad at the end of verse 52, right there, at the end dovetails with 1 John 2.2. 1 John 2.2. Let me read that one. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. And it says, He himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. When his death, burial, and resurrection happened those 2,000 years ago, it included us. All these miles apart, all the time that has happened, Jesus Christ transcends all that. He transcends every bit of it. Caiaphas spoke more truth than he knew, but he didn't believe it. He didn't accept it, or he wouldn't. Look in verse 53. That's the last verse. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Now, you may scratch your head right now thinking, how can a guy... What's up with this guy that he could speak this truth like that and not believe it? It's the soul of us as human beings. It needs transformed. It's our soul. How can people look at the same thing and come away with different? It's the soul. Jesus Christ came to make us new. If you're in him, you're a new creature, a new creation. Don't let it pass. Don't let it pass. Sure it up. If you're a believer today, many of you have known for decades, right? We know each other. We need to sure that up. We need to keep that, keep that polished up, our testimony. We need to polish it up. You know why? Because we're a forgetful people. We're not living our lives like people set free from death row. That's what we are. Death was arrested and my life began. We just sang it a little bit ago. There's no hope apart from Jesus Christ. They had seen this miracle. They had seen this witness. People, uh, witness it. People had seen it. Some believe. Some did not. Which one are you today? Not necessarily do you believe in the miracle as much as this. Do you believe in Jesus Christ fully? Enough to place your life, change your life for his. That's how much we're talking about this. Because that's where it matters. You can be made new today. And by the way, if you're a believer today, you've been coming here forever. Pastor Scott, I knew where you were going before you started. Oh, good. That means you have it all together. Great. But you don't. 
when we get doubtful, we get sinful in our hearts. And speaking to the Christian now, I want you to remember 1 John 1, 9. Thousand sins away, one step back. When we confess our sins, he will forgive us. Man, there's that flood of forgiveness. Not enough money in the world to buy his grace and forgiveness in our life. Be made free today. Let's bow our heads. Can we do that? Let's take this time. We're having an invitation this morning, a prayer time, just to come and to give our hearts clean, afresh. Be made new. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whether you're on Facebook or here in attendance, wherever you find yourself, don't let this time pass without being a different person, a different believer. Don't leave. Don't leave the way you came. The Word of God was open. Think on these things. Ask God to search your heart, to do a work that only He can do because the time is, is urgent. The time is very urgent. Lord, take this time that we have. We're going to sing a song. We're going to have a prayer time where people can come and pray. If they uh, ask, Lord, I, uh, also for those that, that don't know you want to know you want to have more questions, Lord, I pray that you would bring them forward to do just that, have that beautiful dialogue. We'll spend the time needed in order to bring people to you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with Andrew and I and the praise team? Stand with us as we sing as unto the Lord. It's a prayer time. Don't let it pass without adjusting your life to be well-pleasing to him. If you have questions, please ask. Won't you come?
justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to Has it been good to be in God's house this morning? There's certain lines that we use over and over that uh, we're going to keep using them. Just because the invitation stops doesn't mean God stops inviting. And the Holy Spirit stops working in your heart. That's not how it works. Quite the opposite is true. There is several announcements. We have an announcement sheet at the back. But I did want to draw special attention this morning. Christina is back from uh, Youth Haven Bible Camp. She was there last Sunday through Friday um, with special uh, Sunshine Week, our special needs week there. And um, I purposely gave her some time to, there's a lot goes to decompress and, 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 and all those things. So I noticed she's wearing the shirt this morning. The first question I want to ask, did anything bite you, stick you, or itch you? Once, but it was a it was a kiddo, wasn't it? <laughs> but uh, thank you for praying this week for Christina. She t- uh, really stepped out uh, and ministered in a way that um, you got to experience. You can't. There's no words can describe it. You got to experience it. But we're grateful for her willingness to step out and uh, be keynote down there the way that she was. Okay. 
Tonight will be uh, Facebook at 7 o'clock again. Um, and next week, the only announcement I really wanted to share is next week we will be having missionary Bill and Debbie Crawford will be here. Missionary, uh, they were in Germany. They're uh, relief missions now in Hong Kong. So you'll get to hear the full uh, the gamut on that. Next Sunday morning at 9.15, we're going to be combined as we get the Q&A and pick their brains and talk about ministry as they talk about the field. During the worship hour, Bill will be proclaiming the word as well. So church with that, you are dismissed.